Welcome to the Renew Life Church podcast. No matter what situation we find ourselves facing, we know that God wants to speak clearly to us. So wherever you're listening from today, we want to thank you for being here. Grab a cup of coffee and join us as we tune in to our Sunday conversation. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are we good? Or are we alive? Are we alive and well? Are we just alive? Somebody's alive and well. Just, just checking. Just making sure. Man, I am just uh, so thankful that we get to come into a place like this. And just to get to, to worship a king who deserves all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. I don't know about you, but he's brought me a long ways. Can I get a witness? Anybody been a long ways? Anybody way, way further down the road than you were when you started? Come on, he, get, he deserves something for that. Can you give him praise in the house? Come on, give him something that's worth it. This morning, I believe that God wants to speak directly to us, and, and I just believe that it's going to be a powerful moment. I'm just asking for the next few moments, for the next 33, I'm going to use them all. Just to give him the best that you got. He's sitting in front of an audience of one. Jesus, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Your word is welcome here. Lord, you can do whatever you want to here. We give you permission. Thank you, Jesus. That you reign truly, you truly reign above every single thing that could be coming against us. So for the next few minutes, we do our best to get in a place where we can hear you. Know that you're close. I pray that ears are open, even more so than they've already been, to receive something today that might change the course of history in your life forever and ever and ever. That is the power of the Word of God that we get to sit under every single week. So Lord, we just loose you. I loose you into this place. I release, I loose freedom into this house. Jesus, that you would come and be all that you said that you would be. That your word doesn't return you void. I submit myself the best way that I know how to give everything that you've given me away because I know that you never run out and you'll fill it back up. In Jesus' name, if you agree, give me an amen. What's it feel like to be back in live, full live church? It feels good to me. I'm excited. Last week, Braden, uh, he just spoke an incredible message. I don't know if you were here. If you haven't heard that, if you, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. It was absolutely amazing, and, and he spoke about a few things. And he, he talked about Jesus being the Lord of your entire life. He made a statement in that message that, that really shook some things, I believe, in a lot of people. He said, if the Lord isn't Lord of everything, or if he's not the Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And he began to speak about how the Lord should be the Lord of your beliefs. He asked the question, is Jesus the Lord of your beliefs, or have you just decided what you believe? 
See, because everywhere we go, there is a constant push for us to decide to believe certain things. There are things that, unfortunately, in our ears speak louder than the voice of God because we've lent our ear more towards it than we have the voice of the Father. His, he calls himself the Word, so I promise you he's speaking. But sometimes we just give our ear over to the, the wrong thing. Have you decided what you believe, or is he the Lord of your beliefs? Can I tell you that in pertaining to the area of the belief of who you are in Christ, you should pay close attention to what the Scripture says. Because there is an adversary who's constantly trying to tell you and shift your perspective of who you are or who you aren't in Christ. Constantly, day and night, he works. Constantly, he presses. Constantly, he pursues to get you off track. Today, I want to talk to you about who you are. Who you are. The title of today's message, if you're one of those kind of people that needs a title because you write notes and, and you, your notes are incomplete if you don't have a title. <laughs> there's like, there's nothing on the top line in the middle of the page, so the notes are complete. I can't even go back and reread them. Now, I'm, oh, now I need forgiveness and healing and all of these things. The title of today's message is You Are Not Something Wrong. You are not something wrong. I want you to just say it. Say, I am not something wrong. I am not something wrong. See, the enemy wants to get in your ear and tell you, hey, guess what? That thing that you did, you are, you are something now because of that thing. You are now disqualified because of that thing. Well, thank you, Jesus, that you made me qualified because the blood that was shed and the body that was broken. We're going to go right into the word, and we're going to go to John chapter 8. We've all heard this story. This is an amazing story. We're going to start in, uh, in verse 1. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now, I want you to think about this setting. Picture this room, us having church. Obviously, I'm not Jesus, but Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and all of a sudden, through the door, bursts some people that throw a woman into the middle of our situation, into the middle of our room, who had been caught in the act of adultery, probably naked, probably half-dressed. Could you imagine the shame and the fear that was gripping a woman? It says that they throw him... I'm sorry, they throw her into the midst. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such a woman be stoned. But what do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something in which to accuse him. The enemy is always trying to be, bring an accusation, always trying to accuse. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear them. I love that Jesus ignores the pride and the arrogant, except for when it's me. Don't ignore me, Jesus. <laughs> so when they continued to ask him, he raised himself up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. 
And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Such a powerful set of scriptures. Such a powerful such a powerful story. Notice how the accusers, they come in and they instantly start telling her what the law says. They instantly start presenting what the law says. The law says, the law of Moses says, that such a woman should be stoned. The woman couldn't even live up to the law anyways. They said, she, because of what she's done, now you are something wrong. You're something wrong to the point that you actually deserve to die. But what do you say, Jesus? What do you say about this woman? He says, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's, there's a few things that I want to point out in this, in this scripture. The accuser will always bring condemnation. Instant condemnation. With condemnation, there is no opportunity to be proven right. With condemnation, there is nothing but a sentence and a gavel coming down that says, guilty as charged, no ifs, ands, buts about it. Then you have Jesus, who is this lowly person who in this is, is, is representing honor. He's representing humility. He is the advocate. You have the accuser. Now you have Jesus, who is the advocate. And Jesus always gives an opportunity. He always brings conviction. Conviction is that thing that, that rises up when we know that we've done something wrong. It always gives us an opportunity to walk out repentance. John chapter 8, verse 9, we just read this, and this is one thing, one thing that I wanted to point out. It says, and, and they which heard it. So when, they, when they're pressing into Jesus and saying, this is what she deserves, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? He addresses them and says, okay, perfect. Since you're so holy, you without sin, throw the first stone at her. It says, when they heard that, being convicted by their own conscience, in other words, the words of Jesus brought to their memory the things that they had wrong in their lives. Jesus brought conviction in a situation and two people that were actually trying to bring condemnation. It doesn't even make sense to us because the kingdom is upside down so much. We're thinking, Jesus, these people have brought condemnation. Why don't you bring condemnation as well? Because after all, isn't it eye for an eye, Jesus? Jesus actually presents something to them that actually gives them even an opportunity to walk out. A moment where they could live in redemption. With one word from Jesus... They went from the posture of accusers with rocks in their hands to taking on the posture of repentance, changing their mind and walking away. There is no one that is exempt from Jesus. There is no one that he won't offer himself to. There is no one that he won't try to convict in their spirit that something is wrong. Think about what the Holy Spirit's job is. John chapter 16, you don't have this on the screen and it's okay, but it says, uh, this is verse 8. It says, when he, the Holy Spirit, 
comes, he will convict, not condemn, the world, that means everybody, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Everyone has an opportunity with Jesus. So conviction says that you did something wrong. Anybody ever heard that inside? You're like, oh, shouldn't have done that. Condemnation says that you are something wrong. See, what we have to pay attention to is that when sin happens or when, when wrong belief happens, because that is what sin is, sin starts as a wrong belief. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But when sin happens, when wrong belief happens, and it takes us into a place of doing something that breaks that communion that Jake talked about with the Father, we have an opportunity to hear the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, respond to the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That is conviction. See, Jesus comes instantly in those moments. You feel guilty or you feel convicted instantly in that moment. Why? Because he knows that he needs to get you into a place of repentance fast. Because the things that are coming after that play a huge role in developing your identity. Go with me to the Garden of Eden in, in Genesis chapter 3. This is, a, this is one of the most popular stories ever. It says, so when the woman saw, this is after uh, the woman uh, had been in conversation with the serpent. This is after he had presented uh, his case pertaining to why she should eat the fruit of the tree of the gar- uh, in the garden that, that the Lord God had commanded them not to. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is the first time that sin was introduced into the world. And notice what it brought with it. It brought shame, it brought fear, and it brought control. We still deal with this stronghold because that's what I believe it is. It's something that grips us. We still deal with this stronghold every single day. There are, there are things in our life that we, that we manipulate in order to not have fear or shame exposed. Shame was I was naked. Fear, I was afraid. Control, I hid myself. Notice the question in verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? The scripture we just read, it didn't say that someone told them. It said that they knew they were naked. And God asks, Adam, who told you you were naked? Well, I know who told him. Shame told him. Because shame says that you are now something wrong. Because you didn't respond, you didn't stay connected to the Father, and you chose to believe something outside of what he planned for you. And so you created something that broke communion. Now shame came in. The enemy already had their ear. He didn't get it in this moment. He already had their ear. So because they had been listening to the enemy, instantly shame said, you're naked. You ought to be ashamed. You ought to be so ashamed and so afraid that you hide yourself from the Father. That was not the plan and that was not the design. Shame came in instantly and said, you are naked. Now, Adam's got this new belief that 
I am something wrong and now I have to hide myself from you because I feel like you might reject me. Instantly, an ungodly belief was formed when there was this whole garden set up that was paradise and perfect. And one wrong decision to get off of the word of God and choose to believe something different brought on a whole new belief of I am something wrong. And so I should hide myself. This is how we respond to God in lots and lots of ways. Shame, it lies to us about who we are. It lies. Shame will tell you once you've committed some sort of sin, shame will instantly come in and try to get you to believe the fact that you are a mistake. It wants you to believe that you are bad. It wants you to believe that you're defective. It wants you to believe that you're damaged goods. It wants you to believe that you're a pervert. It wants you to believe that you are a reject. And if you're not careful, your, your thoughts, you may not say this out loud. There's a statistic that says that the average person says 2,000 words to themselves every day. 70% of those are negative. All of the sudden, you're saying to yourself, I am, I am, I am, I am, and I am. And the word is saying, you're not, you're not, you're not, but this has your ear more. And now you're building a belief system on something that is not holy. It's not even the way that you're designed to live. Fear sets in and holds you back from seeing who you are in Christ and who people believe that you are. We follow up this with the question of what if they find out? What if they find out they'll reject me? What if I mess up again? What if I fail again? They'll leave me. I'll never change. So I step into this place of control. Control promises to protect us from pain. There's always something disguised in control. It's this thing that says, if you'll do these things, I'll protect you from feeling the fear because of the shame. So I manipulate people and I manipulate conversations. I steer conversations. I'll have any conversation that anybody wants until it gets close to touching that thing that I'm afraid to be revealed. And then I will, I will spin it a different direction. Why? Because it is, I cannot deal with the thought of being rejected again. I can't deal with the fear of letting someone down again. Because after all, I am just a screw up. This is how things play out in our minds when we have chosen to just choose a belief instead of read what the word says, that you're a masterpiece and that you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. There is gold on the inside of you. I'm just simply trying to uncover it. We control by using anger. We control by using laughter. We control by being the life of the party all of the time, putting a smile on our face all of the time. We control by drinking too much, eating too much, eating too little. We control by, by using drugs. We, we just control by numbing out in some way because we're afraid. Because we're afraid. We're afraid that someone might find out who we are, but we're actually not even that. Because Scripture says that your life is hidden with Christ and God. You're protecting an identity that's not even a real identity according to the word. How does that even make sense? That sounds like insanity to me. But unfortunately, we walk in this all 
of the time. You know, because of shame, fear, and control, it's no wonder that relationships lack intimacy. If intimacy literally means into me, you get to see. And I'm ashamed and I'm afraid, and so I control and manipulate. I will never let you see me, and therefore I will never experience intimacy. This is why at year 20, you see random marriages start falling apart for the excuse of, I just don't even feel like I know them. I don't feel like I'm connected to them anymore. There's no adultery. There's no anything else. I just don't feel connected. I don't know if I love them anymore. Why? Because both parties have been doing their best to hide their things from each other that they don't even know who each each other are. There is no intimacy. And I propose to you that if we aren't intimate with people that we can see, we're probably not intimate with a God that we can't. Which is what Jesus' blood was, was poured out for. If I believe that I am something wrong, I'm going to approach the Father from every single angle except for that one because I can't let that one be touched. In other words, Jesus didn't die for it all. When I believe that I am still flawed and when I believe that I am never going to be anything better than what I actually am, and I'm firmly rooted in that belief, I should expect Jesus to get back on the cross so that he could finish it for me. He said it's finished. He said, I have conquered it all. I got the holes in my hands I didn't get a t-shirt, but I got everything else. The blood of Jesus paid a price that is higher than the one that we live for every single day. Our lives should look like what Jesus paid for. But most of the time, our lives look like something that we paid for. Because scripture says that we should be able to come boldly to the throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and receive grace for help in a time of need. If you're dealing with shame or you're dealing with fear or you're dealing with control, you need help. Anybody? Come on. God, leave me alone. That's fine. I'm preaching to an audience of one anyways. If we need help, let's go to the throne. Instead of going to some sappy Garth Brooks song. <laughs> let's, go, let's go over here where mercy and grace are available. Instead of staying in a place of saying, I will always and I will never. Inner vows are ruining families. This is, a, this is an issue with belief systems. I got way off my notes and I don't even care. This is an issue of beliefs. It may not be your beliefs. Maybe there were beliefs of someone before you. Wrong beliefs because I decided that I was going to listen to something greater than the Father. And I didn't instantly take every thought captive and into the obedience of Christ. Long, long ago, someone didn't do that. And so guess what? They just gave it to you. And guess what? If you don't do anything with it, you're going to give it to somebody else. And if you got little ones, they're probably going to be the ones that are going to get it. 
I'm just tired of seeing the kingdom. I'm tired of seeing people get ran over because they are unwilling to deal with the things that are deep down on the inside of them. Jesus finished it. Just let him do the work. Bring it to him and say, this is what I've got. This is what I've been, this is what I've been believing. I've done this exercise with multiple people, and there are people that are saying, I, 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 I figured I would take this to my grave. This is the grip that shame, fear, and control has on us. I am so ashamed of what I've done, or I am so ashamed of what someone said about me, I believe it so much that I'm willing to not share it for, the, for my whole life. I'll take it to my grave. That's scary. That is dangerous. And guess what? You're going to take it to your grave, and then hopefully, by the grace of God, your kids don't take it to theirs too. I'm trying to explain something to you. The things that are in your life may not be because of your decisions or your choices, but they can still be taken care of even if they were passed on to you from somebody else. And if we don't deal with them, our kids are going to have to deal with them. I'm teaching my son right now. It's, it's crazy how the enemy decides to work in your life. My daughter, she's 11, and, and I don't remember if I told you all this or not, but a few Sundays ago she shared a testimony of, of just um, overcoming anxiety. She came to me one night, and she was just deathly afraid. She came in, and, and she was just weeping, and she's crying, and this is abnormal for her. And, uh, and she's like, I'm just overcome with fear and anxiety, and I don't know what's going on. And, and she couldn't explain it. She's just weeping. Under, and I was like, okay, we're going to deal with this one right now because we're made to war, right? Have you noticed that the whole armor of God doesn't say anything about your backside because you're supposed to be advancing forward? So I go in with my daughter, and I, I say, she said, I, I feel like I, I, it started when I thought I heard footsteps right here. And I said, right here, this spot, this one? I said, we're going to worship, and we're going to pray until it's gone. So first night we did. Night two, she comes in my room, freaking out all over again. I said, baby, I, I gave you the tools. I love you. I believe that you have strength on the inside of you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go stand in the spot where you felt it. I want you to worship and I want you to pray until you know that it leaves. So she did, and that was it. It's funny how she shares this testimony and then my son for the last week has been dealing with the exact same thing every single night. So last night, he comes in, in the living room and he's fixing to have a, a giant meltdown again. And I said, no, we're not doing this. It's, this is just not, I said, son, you were created to war. You're created to fight this. And there is something on the inside of you named Jesus that has the victory over this. We're going to just let him come out. And so we've just been warring every single night that this thing breaks off. And I need my son, who is eight, to do this now. So that when temptation comes, when he's 16, he breaks it without even blinking. So that when he does something wrong, he doesn't instantly give his ear over to the father of lies and begin to hear the words, you are something wrong. He said, no, 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 no. I broke that a long time ago. Come on, this is not something that we can play with. We have to get serious about 
not passing things on that don't need to be passed on. You know, the way that, the way that your dad treated you or the way that a friend treated you or the way that a spouse treated you is because somewhere down the line they decided that it was right. They said, I believe this about me, so I'm going to give it to you. You start agreeing, and before you know it, you've got inner vows made that I will never and I'll always, because I am something wrong. No, you're not. No, you're not. Here's what I want you to understand. That which started as a lie, if not handled correctly, can become your truth. That which the enemy starts speaking to you early, if you don't deal with it properly, it will become your truth. Now you can't be convinced that God is good in a certain area because you didn't do anything with a thing a long time ago. You just let it sit there. You tolerated it too long. But you can stop. You can disagree with the intervals that you've made. You can choose to go in the way of God. You can choose to put down this wrong belief and pick up a right one and start living by it and allow it to do the thing that it was supposed to do. The word of God is without, without void. It does not return void. It says that it goes forth like the rain coming down from heavens and the snow from the heavens. And they do not return from where they came, but they, they perform the thing in which they sent. So does the word in your life. You just have to put this one down and pick this one up. I just am trying to present something to you so that you might see that maybe you're carrying wrong identity. Maybe there are things about you. Maybe there are names that you call yourself. Maybe there are names that have been called about you for your whole life. Maybe you've been called something. There's a nickname that you hate. There's a nickname that makes your skin crawl every time you hear it. It's a lie. God wants to replace it. He wants to replace it. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Belief is connected to destiny. Belief is connected to destiny, whether that be a wrong belief or right belief, it is still connected to a destiny. I want to read this, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and close here. You may have heard this before. It says this. It should be up on the screen in just a moment. It says that if you accept a belief, you reap a thought. And if you sow a thought, you reap an attitude. If you sow an attitude, you reap an action. And if you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. I want to take the first and the last sentences of that. If you accept a belief, you will reap a destiny. What have you been believing? What have you been believing about yourself? What have you allowed the enemy to tell you about you? Your belief is connected to destiny. So we get so busy hiding things because we're afraid that we might be quote unquote revealed, but we're still protecting something that's not even real, that we hide everything. 
the only place that you should be hidden is in God with Christ. That's it. That's where you are. That is you. Colossians 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, which is Christ, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not the things of the earth. That would mean set your mind on what God says, not what the enemy says. Let your identity be found in the gold of Scripture and not in the thing below which the enemy wants to lie to you about. Set your identity on the word and not in the fact that you made a mistake. I can't imagine the things that we would say. Hmm, I'm going to... I can't, I can't imagine the things that we say about people that we know that are in adultery. I can't imagine the things that we say about people that we know that lie. We throw words around all of the time. The moment that I gossip is the moment that I'm partnering with these things that are creating false identities in people. The moment that I point fingers because their sin looks different than my sin, although it's all sin, is the moment that I'm helping the enemy create false identity in people. I partnered. I'm gonna let y'all be exempt. I partnered with the enemy in that area. Anytime that I choose to say something that the Father would not say about them. If we're supposed to be salt and light and preserving the people that are around us, shouldn't we be speaking a better word over them? Oh, but it's easier because everybody else is doing it. I'm just going to choose to believe this about them. Says what scripture? Famous scholar said that last week. Says what scripture? I said, love your enemies curse those, I mean, love those who curse you. Jesus literally raises the bar. We should be living in a way that looks like all that Jesus paid for. We should be believing in a way that looks like Jesus paid for. it. I just want you to understand that if you need help in this area, join the club. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're alone in this. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're the only one that deals with this type of sin in this area and you're the only one that's been dealing with this long and that no one's going to understand what you're going through because it's unique to you and you're so far gone in it that you should just keep your mouth closed and just deal with whatever comes. Now all of a sudden something bad happens and you're blaming it on karma and all of these and you're stepping outside of, no, there's a, there's a team of people that I work with every day that can help you walk through these things. There is a transaction that you can make with Jesus, so to speak, where you literally offer up the things that the enemy says. It's, it looks like this. Jesus, the enemy says that I'm a liar and I'm a cheater and I'm damaged. What do you say? told you earlier his name is the word and I promise you he's going to speak 
Thanks for tuning in today. You can stay connected with Renew Life Church by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting our website at www.renewlifechurch.com. We love you and hope you feel encouraged from this message today.